Trust is built when you're curious and you really walk the walk, do a little bit of a hard work and not just lip service. And then the second piece of trust is about consistently making sure that the priorities of your team are important. What do they want to do? How can you really groom, mentor and help them? And that's when trust builds, when, hey, this person really cares about me as a person, not just a number or an employee. If your team doesn't trust you, they can't turn to you, even when they need you the most. I'm Rebecca Mutter, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Healthcare workers are currently battling two pandemics, COVID and burnout. To battle burnout, Dr. Swati Mehta, Director of Quality and Performance of Vituity, has a number of actionable strategies that she uses to help her connect and support her teams. In this episode, you'll hear how intentionally recognizing the work being done, and even doing it yourself from time to time, can improve wellness and build trust. Before we get to Dr. Mehta's strategies, let's hear how a quilt inspires her to be fully present in every patient encounter. My story in this world of human connection honestly began with a blanket. And it might seem funny, but there's such a powerful story there because for me, I was doing my clinical shifts for um, everyone. I'm a physician. I do still do my clinical shifts and I work as a hospitalist. And this story is about five to six years back when there was an elderly patient, unfortunately, grappling with cancer. His elderly uh, wife was the only support system he had. They were admitted to the hospital. I was the one taking care of them. And um, really spend that extra few minutes here and there, somewhere to connect, somewhere to talk about their day, some non-medical way to connect with them. And uh, they were in the hospital for about seven days, and then they went back home, thankfully not to the nursing home. And unfortunately, after a couple of weeks, they had to come back to the hospital just because the way cancer is. And they requested for me. They were like, we want Dr. Mera to, is she still on? Can we make sure that she's the one who takes care of us? And I was obviously honored at that piece and honestly thinking that hopefully they're not going to be complaining about my care. But honestly, they were just wanting me to take care of them. And the wife had a quilt. She stitched a quilt in the period that she was home taking care of her husband thanking me, beautiful, I still have it to the day, and saying, please keep doing what you're doing, Dr. Mehta. You matter. What you did matter, and we'll never forget you. That was my aha moment, Rebecca. For me, it was, yes, I'm doing my clinical care. I'm seeing 20 patients a day. My list was not less than my peers, if you will. But somehow there was a way, there was a magic that was happening in those patient rooms where I was able to connect. And I felt, I got a sense that I have a little bit of a better, bigger calling to impact more lives. And humbly, I submitted to that and took on the role of patient experience improvement and human connection. That is so beautiful. And how sort of poetic for it to be a quilt. You know, I feel like we have many pieces coming together to make one sort of beautiful art piece that can keep you warm and comfort you. And in so many ways is really the human experience in healthcare. Absolutely. It's, it's such a good corollary, if you will, because I just feel it's um, it's still there as a reminder. Every time I feel that the burnout, the pandemic and the other things that are happening in healthcare, which really make our physician and our nursing feel really um, tired and want to give up. That blanket warms me and also reminds me that I need to keep on um, bringing back the faith in healthcare. And I feel now, especially people are asking themselves, like, what is in this for me? The work has gotten so much harder. 
the patients are more sick. It's like, how do people keep coming back to the well? When you have people on your team that are struggling, what, what are some techniques or what are some things that you, you tell them to do? Or how do you inspire them when it gets really hard, which it does get hard? That's a great question and so important at this time, right, Rebecca? So I feel what's happening in healthcare, in our society in general with burnout, that's the second pandemic, if you will, apart from COVID is burnout. It is all on the leaders. We cannot expect our frontline nurses, CNAs, staff, physicians, providers to do this on their own. We've been heroes for too long. Now we need our hospital leaders to come in, step in, and really be curious. So for me, there are a few things that I feel as leaders, this is a call to action for all of us. Like as a medical director before, for me, for when I was with my team and my peers, what I did, and I really want us to continue to consider this, is first be curious. Do not assume your team wants that pizza or just a one or two breaks. What do they really need to make their shift better? What tools do they need? Don't assume and really provide them with the tools. So curiosity is the first thing. The second for me is be compassionate. Your team is going to make mistakes. And for us, we have to have a safe space to be able to say, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. I want to talk to you about it. So that's, you know, the second C for me is first is curiosity. Second is being compassionate. Third is we really need to be clear, right? We need to, as leaders, set clear goals. We cannot tell our nurses and physicians, um, you got X amount of patients. And by the way, we don't have PP. And by the way, there's no vents. And by the way, uh, I want you to come again tomorrow and do a shift. So be clear what you can do and what you cannot do and message really clearly. The most important C for me is to celebrate, to celebrate and congratulate them in a very consistent manner. We think, oh, someone, you just say a good job. It's intuitive to do a good job. So that's fine. Or it's innate uh, in everyone to do a good job or it's implied. For me, it's like as leaders, we have to be intentional in celebrating and recognizing our staff and be consistent with all of this by being curious, being candid, being compassionate, but being consistent. You cannot just do it because it's the flavor of the month right now. And then three months later, everything fizzles down. So as leaders, the call of action is to follow all of these seeds. One of the things that I think is really tough right now is for leaders to kind of be able to take a pause. And when they're with a team member to really be curious, be present. And it's almost like, how do we get them to kind of pause? within the hustle and bustle of the every day I have 150 things on my list to do today, but I also have 60 direct reports. How do I get to spend time with them so that I can execute on the leadership part of my job? To really be able to walk the walk, I feel there are a couple of things that I had done and I felt that were um, successful. One is do a hybrid of virtual versus face-to-face, right? In the sense for me, it was, Go to the Gemba, go to the shift when that night shift provider is on. They pour them, the nurses, and they're just doing a graveyard shift. Uh, when has the hospital leader actually walked at 9 p.m. and said, hey, how's your shift going? Right? Go to odd times when you're able to. Call in if you can. Yes, I know as leaders we are busy as well, but carve in the time, block that time on Outlook to say at least once a month I'm having a check-in. It could be a 15-minute check-in. It doesn't have to be an hour away from it, but 15-minute check-in to be curious about what are the tools you need and what one non-medical, non-professional thing you want to know about your team member to really connect with them. Do you know their wife's name? What is the next big occasion in their lives? If you do that 15-minute connection, 
I think that's much more important than thinking I am too busy and I can do nothing. So let's start small. Start with those 15 minutes moments, if you will, once a month, and then see how that really improves the morale of the team. But also for us leaders, how about we share, do this with our managers and their managers do it with the direct reports, right? So kind of the trickle down effect of leadership is the culture begins from top up. And that's why I feel get the momentum going and having 15 minutes of connection. The celebration aspect of it is really, I think, interesting because it seems like so many healthcare workers feel like I'm doing my work. This is what I do. I've always tried to to provide the most compassionate care for my patients and families. And you shared sort of innate is not enough. So when you talk about celebrating and congratulating teams, what are some meaningful, impactful ways that you've seen that uh, go well so that team members can accept it and they can feel your authenticity in it? A lot of times a good job, a high five and a passing comment is not enough. So how do we intentionally celebrate? The most important thing in my mind is if we can do anything is first is real time. It has to be a real time celebration when that moment happens. So for example, we do leader rounding in our hospital, right? As a leader, you go in to a patient's room, ask them how they're doing, not necessarily to talk about the clinical stuff, but how's your experience, anyone you want to recognize, right? And as and when they call out that nurse, they call out the CNA, or they call out the cleaner who gave them that extra pillow. We as leaders, it is on us to go back to that leader of that team and tell them, hey, that physician, that nurse, that CNA did an exceptional job. This is the patient who said it. So in real time, leader to leader, if that trickle down happens, morale and culture improves. So I feel celebration, one is in real time, do that. Second, obviously, we are not able to uh, touch a lot of patients if it's just one of us or two of us. So how do we make this into, for example, what you do at Wambi? I love it, Rebecca, the fact that we get that gratitude going in a way that the patients just before discharge or in real time, when they really think about, let me recognize this stuff, they write it down and our stuff feels really uh, appreciated. So, you know, using technology, doing the old school one-to-one leader rounding, And then really making it a structured way, the authentic way of recognition is when it comes from peers as well. So have peers recognize peers and you are just in the backseat as the leader because, you know, you might sign the certificate of, hey, you did a great job. But at the same time, who nominated me? Who thinks I'm doing good? That curiosity between nurses, physicians and all really is the juice that makes us thrive. So that's kind of what I feel. Three-pronged approaches, do lead rounding, walk the walk and do real-time feedback, use technology to really get the gratitude juices flowing, and always, always try and see what peer recognition could look like. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I think that's critical that you're getting to is also the specificity of it, like being able to tell a story, to identify a moment. And like you said, sometimes it's things that aren't mind-boggling. Sometimes it's something really small, like uh, someone brought you an extra pillow or that environmental services worker who really you know, goes above and beyond for your family when they're there visiting and they need an extra box of tissues. So that I think is really important. I know a couple of examples, Rebecca, as you speak, is where there was a nurse who was so good at tucking her patients all the time, always making sure they're nice, tucked, warm. And that mattered to the patient for them to say that, right? It's a small thing, like spending that extra minute to be like, how are you doing? Are you warm? Are you cold? Are you fine? Are you comfortable? And then there was another physician I know in the emergency department who took off his own shoes and gave it to a, a, a patient who was unfortunately homeless and then walked around in slippers for the rest of his shift. 
And this is happening. This is actually happening and needs to be recognized. So recognition, like you mentioned, cannot be nonspecific and hollow. If there's a story tied to it, if there's a concreteness tied to it, it is so much more meaningful and improves the wellness of our team. Wow, that is so powerful to think of someone taking off their shoes to give to a patient and and talk about walking in someone else's shoes. That is so beautiful. And there are so many experiences like that that happen every second in a health setting. I think our job sometimes are trying to illuminate those stories that they become the everyday and the talked about versus the one-offs, you know, where we can do better. Absolutely. And the point is also that when you have gratitude, when you really are intentional about the recognition, then when there is some constructive feedback that you give, then it's taken much better. It's followed through better versus when you feel all I hear from our leaders is negative, do this more, get the red metrics to green. So honestly, it is really helpful and it's improved. The ROI is so much incredibly more important for leaders than it just being a soft skill. We have to have a certain like level of confidence in order to improve beyond that. You can't be told constantly, you're not good enough, you're not doing well. That's going to debilitate you. It's not going to motivate you to try something new, to try to change. Those things, I think, have to come from a place where you're like, I, I know I'm trying. I am doing a pretty good job. There are things I can improve on, of course, but I come from a place where I still feel pretty good about who I am and the work that I'm doing. Exactly. The psychological safety the leader can give is the most important thing. And part of safety is trust. And part of trust is recognizing small things. Trust is something that I think has come up more and more and more in my conversations with other healthcare executives. When you think about trust, can you share a little bit about how we can best cultivate trust among our team? I think for trust, it is, again, one, it's a marathon. It cannot be that pizza party or that, hey, how are you doing? And then radio silence moving forward. So you really need to be consistent about it. But for me, the piece about trust is very critical. It's important to be able to first have street cred. If the leaders have an ability to see the patient, if so, for example, for our CNO leaders, CMO leaders, like at Vituity where I work, all of our leaders are doing shifts. So the trust will build when someone says, hey, you've seen how bad it is during the shift. You've seen. So as a leader, I'm going to listen to you. The front line says, I'll listen to you because I know you've walked, you won your scrubs and you really at least walked. And if you cannot do clinical, if you're not clinical that's, uh, as a health leader, no worries. Just come and see, witness the shift or just talk to someone. So trust is built when you're curious and you really walk the walk, do a little bit of a hard work and not just lip service. And then the second piece of trust is about consistently uh, making sure that the priorities of your team are important. What do they want to do? How can you really groom, mentor, and help them? And that's when trust builds, when, hey, this person really cares about me as a person, not just a number or an employee. So for me, two things that are critical is to really walk the walk, have that street cred with your team. And second is be curious about what are the personal goals, values, and mission of your team. You've written and spoken about you being a mom and your work and how that kind of connects. Can you share a little bit about how being a mom has impacted your professional life and and maybe vice versa as well? 
Oh my God, where do I begin here? <laughs> so I have two little boys and my oldest is six and um, the, the younger is three. So for me, fortuitously, when I got my leadership position at one of the hospitals was when I was about seven months pregnant. So imagine me, a person of color, woman, six, seven months pregnant, walking into a six o'clock morning meeting. The CEO is there, the surgeons in the morning, the trauma surgeon, everyone's there, right? And I was a little bit hesitant. What am I bringing to the table or what is the perception? But for me, the mama bear instincts kicked in instantly. And, and I felt that I really needed to really put myself out there for my team who is rooting for me, who is thinking, I Swati is going to represent me in front of the leadership and get us that extra person we need or get us that extra computer that we need or small or big things, right? What do the team need? So I felt that for me, that mama bear instincts uh, really kicked in and I was like, I just need to advocate and I don't need to advocate just by saying we need this, but get the data, get the stories, get the feedback. And I felt that that really was a plus for me. I think every day, any decision I make, I make it with heart. I make it in a nurturing way. And that's because I'm a mom. Sarah Blakely was quoted talking about sort of the feminine business principles and how that has impacted everything in her business. And and I think about these feminine business principles and how they impact female leaders in healthcare. And I really can feel what you shared when you said you were seven months pregnant, you got to the leadership table, and then your mama bear instincts kicked in. You're an amazing advocate. You're constantly talking about the best ways for us to lead. Is there something like in your upbringing or just is there any trait that you can point to or experience that you've had that gives you the confidence to be able to do that or even just the interest in putting yourself out there like that and being vulnerable? I love this quote about all that I am and all that I owe is to my mom, right? I feel as leaders, female, male leaders, just leaders, I feel that our own upbringing also impacts how we uh, present ourselves, right? Or how forgiving we are. And I feel the first thing that we can do and what my parents taught me was that it's okay to fail as long as you get up for the eighth time. It's okay to fail. And that gives you a little bit of fearlessness. When you feel scared, anxious, and you feel you don't belong, the imposter syndrome, whatever you might call it. But when you feel that it's okay to fail, but when you know your heart is in the right place, you're going in the right direction, and you're not just talking the talk, you have data behind you, you have stories behind you, you have your whole team behind you, and you have the best of intentions, then you take more chances. And I think it translates to when you're talking to your um, higher-ups, and they really actually uh, appreciate that rather than just doing the line. So for me, the one thing apart from what we talked about is that, you know, you have to be curious, you have to really take care of your team and the mama bear instincts have to be there in the nurturing piece is to be okay to fail knowing you're trying your best. So all the moms out there, you're trying your best. All the healthcare leaders who are juggling so many things, you are doing a fantastic job. Take those risks, take those chances and know that people love you. I appreciate that, Swati, as a fellow mom. I can I can appreciate that sometimes when we feel like, we're trying to do it all. And of course, needless to say, some things fall to the wayside. My son's six years old and I, I'm so used to the why questions. Like, but why? Well, why? And it keeps going. And, and your logic has to be so sound that like after 10 whys, you still get to the right place. And I feel like as a leader, sometimes you have to use that because you have to think way down the road of, yeah, but why, but why, but why? 
That's absolutely true. And the six-year-old doesn't understand it. You don't know it yourself. So be it patient discharge instructions, be it telling your team to do something different. You need to be able to drill it down into the whys, I feel, to make it simple and like what's in it for me and really make it down. So I think, yeah, the, my toddlers definitely teach me that. Absolutely. They put us through our paces. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You know, right now, people are talking a lot about the parallel pandemic of the sort of great attrition that's happening. And I've also heard of it as a great talent swap. One thing we know is that more people than ever are, are turning over from our organizations, and a lot of people are leaving the profession altogether. What would you say to, to a physician who is in this kind of critical place where they're like, maybe I shouldn't even stay in this work anymore? And, and what do you think about when you think of how to attract and retain the right people? Such an incredibly important question, Rebecca. I feel very fortunate where I work at Vituity is that we have sabbaticals. So for a physician, for a nurse who's burned out, who's been doing this for so, so many years, it is up to the leaders, I feel, to give the space. So for folks who are burnt out, you have to do what's best for you, right? So it would be wrong for me to say, no, 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 everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be great. Please stay. But at the same time, if you stay, if you allow the leaders to now take care of you, who are now waking up saying, yes, employee experience is as important as any other experience. If you just give a second chance to healthcare, I promise you the compassion you have for the patients, the noble cause why you join medicine is still needed, is still there. So you're critically important is what I would say to them. Take the time for yourselves. So if there's a sabbatical time, if there's a PTO, take it now. If there's a moment you want to you know, uh, have less clicks, advocate for your team so that you have those less clips, you have scribes, etc. Advocate for the tools you need, advocate for the time that you need to really fill your own cup before you can pour it to the patients. Taking the time to recharge is something that I think so many of us struggle with. And I think it actually filters down even to like taking a few minutes in the course of a day to pause. And then it has sort of more uh, broader impact also when you're thinking of like a concept of like a sabbatical or being absent from work. A lot of that I think has to do with the difficulty of staying mindful, like in being conscious about how we act. How do you manage that, Swati? Because I know you're a practitioner, you're a leader. How do you balance? The things that I routinely do before every patient encounter, before knocking the door to see an admission at night or anything like that, I, I take four deep breaths. It may seem like silly and simple, but the first thing I do is because I feel there's a little bit of a baggage from my encounters before, some bad news I gave, some sad news I gave, something that, you know, so much stuff I have to do, but that patient in front of me who I haven't seen yet, who I haven't met yet, doesn't deserve that, doesn't deserve that baggage. So that's why I really feel that's more a professional reason why I do that mindful activity is to inhale, exhale, and just do that four deep breaths before I'm like, okay, I got it. I can do this. The second is a little bit funny for me, but is that I, I talk to nature. I go for walks. And if there's a bird on a tree, or if there's a snail or a creepy crawly next to me, or an ant who's busy building something, I appreciate them because it's not just necessarily appreciating your team or appreciating your children or your family and your connections, but it's appreciating Mother Earth and saying, thank you for letting me have this fresh air, having survived COVID and not having to, you know, this pandemic. And I feel just connecting with the nature around you for a small walk, a small, short, quick walk. It could be 15 minutes before lunch or something that you do and really connecting with looking at the, you know, clouds, the sun, the air, the 
everything, it may seem simplistic, but we get so caught up with our phones and our next task that we don't do that. So I found real value in talking to birds. So that's how it is. I absolutely love that, Swati. And I can totally relate. There's a tree that I really like that's in my backyard. And and if I'm I'm going meeting to meeting and I just need a quick break, I just go outside and I just sit and look at that tree. I, I might say a couple of words to it. And I, and I think it really helps to recenter and kind of get refreshed to be able to come back and be present for those human to human moments. That's why the Japanese have what is called forest therapy. So there is some reason behind it. So we're not completely mad yet, Rebecca. That's good, Swati. I feel like we're in good company. (laughs) I love it. That's beautiful and such helpful, I think, advice for our listeners. And thank you for your vulnerability. Because, you know, I think it's hard sometimes to share some of the maybe more unique or quirky things that some of us do. But in those quirky things, there's a lot of connection with others. I know a lot of people that that do that. And as we think about vulnerability, I, I feel like I have to ask this. And I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown and her work. As a female leader, how do you think about vulnerability? I believe it's a strength. I believe that leaders who do not show vulnerability honestly will have a team which will be silent, which will not be able to share their vulnerabilities. So you have to truly lead by example. And for me, it's always been about it doesn't make you soft or someone who someone cannot really take seriously. I always believe that being vulnerable makes that other person believe you, that there's authenticity in you, that you are human and you're not just asking them to move the needle on some data. This is the person who's walked the walk. This is the person who comes from a place that she has. And I've always found value in showing that aspect of me to my team and my patients, for sure. I have countless scenarios where I have talked to my patients about my kids or my parents who are back in India and I can't visit them. For example, just um, last night I saw a patient and he, um, unfortunately, due to the sickness of dementia, was not able to have a communication talk to me, but the daughter was there. And I just told the daughter, thank you so much for taking care of your dad. I wish I could be there for my dad who's back home in India. And I could see tears in the daughter's eyes because she worked so hard. And just being vulnerable and talking about my own dad and just thanking her, I felt was a huge connector for us. And it's something that I bet she'll walk away from and she'll think about it when things are really tough and she's taking care of her dad. And she remembers, well, Dr. Mehta, she thanked me for this. She saw me when I was sitting here with my dad. It's not an easy position for anyone to be in. Finding those moments to connect is so critical and not being mixed up in just the clinical work because our care is so much more important than just medical care that we give. Well said. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we we transition to the last part of our conversation today? I think my call to action, my request is do an act of kindness and be brave. Take those chances. I think we all can take that in and and execute and think of you, Swati. So now we're going to transition and we're going to take a beat. And we're going to do a fun round of some quick questions. So don't think too much about them so that our listeners can get to know sort of a lesser known side of you. And to begin, can you tell us something about yourself that most of your work family does not know? 
Oh my God, wait, where I begin? I sing the funniest, most ridiculous songs to my kids when I'm feeding them. So I become a comedian and I become an opera singer. And gosh, if my team would hear this right now. (laughs) (laughs) And so is the content usually about getting them to eat or is it about other things that are just distracting? (laughs) I make a medley of all their songs from Coco Melon and all of that stuff. That And and then I make it my own. I add my own words and I personalize it. (laughs) So um, I would like to trademark them for sure. I, I think we have another episode coming up where we're going to be doing these episode, these uh, songs live, Swati, so other people can, can use them. <laughs> I walked right into it. <laughs> you did. You did. You asked for it. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Okay, next question. If you weren't in the role you are now and you could do anything in your career, what would it be? I think I would be a chef because I like to nurture. And I think nurturing with food is uh, one of the biggest things someone can do, you know ask your mom ask your anyone who really cooks a good meal for you and and it just feels that that really brings love to the table literally and that's kind of what I would love to do and is there any particular type of cuisine that you would want to specialize in I always always like the fusion of Indian and Mexican together and I want to open that restaurant let's see if that happens in this lifetime or the other well that sounds unbelievably delicious what can, can you share like a dish what would a dish be an example of that I feel like whenever I go to either or restaurants, I feel like I could merge the two dishes. So for me, like, you know, if I have a paneer tikka taco or we have rotis and stuff, so it's very hard to explain, but there's a spinach fritter I would love to add in an enchilada. That sounds incredible. I'm very, I'm very interested in in trying this. It sounds really, really delicious. I will have one customer for sure, Rebecca. I'll call on you. Absolutely. I'm very adventurous. And also those are two of my favorite cuisines. So I feel like I'm I'm your perfect candidate for, for trying it out. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Okay. And final, final question, Swati. If there was one skill that you could be exceptionally great at, what would it be? For me, it would be to honestly teleport. Ooh. Anytime I want to tell, like be able to go to India and back without a 20-hour flight <laughs> would be fun. <laughs> and just travel. That's one thing I've really missed in the pandemic, incredibly. And, and that's kind of what was my fuel pre-pandemic. And yeah, so if that was a skill, yeah, forget the planes. Teleport is here I come. Take four deep breaths and then open that next door. I'm Rebecca Metter. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you take the time to really connect with someone, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.